hour number two off and rolling here on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome in. Hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday. Hope that many of you got the opportunity to attend yesterday's stadium practice at Nissan. It was really, really cool to see about 7,000 fans in attendance. Cool to see some of the people who listen to this show hang out with, uh, hang out, you know, and feel kind of normal. It's the first time I've been on that field since 2019, like physically on the field. But, you know, these are things that only affect me. We're happy to have you in for the next two hours. We've got a great show ahead for you, still yet to go. John Glennon and Ben Arthur of Broadway Sports and the Tennessean, respectively. We're going to have a little bit of a Titans media roundtable to talk about the week that's been so far before everybody takes off for Tampa Bay. We're also going to be joined by linebacker David Long in the noon hour, so make sure you don't miss a minute. And some great stuff from Greg Cosell of NFL Films on the evolution of Tom Brady, which is obviously going to be a big point of discussion with these joint practices against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Don't forget that Bruce Arians has already said that none of the starters, to no one's surprise, will will play in Saturday's preseason game. That's what the joint practices are for. If you want to get involved, the number is very easy. It's 615-737-1045-615-737-1045. Or you can interact with the show on Zone TV. If you so choose Facebook live, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch, we would be happy to take your commentary uh, throughout the course of the day. Did you enjoy the stadium practice? Certainly it seemed like they did a really good job kind of setting up the event in a better way than they did a couple of years ago, right? The 2019 one, if I recall correctly, got rained out. So it really never took place. I mean, the 2018 Conditional or situational football practice lives in infamy until the end of time. I, I, it goes down in my book as Mike Vrabel's first massive screw-up as head coach of the Tennessee Titans just because of a lack of, uh, you know, ironically enough, situational awareness with the way that that went down. Having the fans in the stands for the first time as the head coach and then, you know, going through uh, fake field goals and punt passes and all manner of individual situations that uh, the the average football fan doesn't want to see. Now, what was really cool about yesterday, for a great many reasons, was the energy in the stadium. And this has been a kind of a theme throughout the course of the offseason. Obviously, we haven't had, as a, as a media core, you guys haven't been able to attend Titans practice up to this point because of the way that the facility's been under, the, uh, under construction. But... I I really took away with or took away from that practice what I think that that environment is going to set up to be in 2021. There's so many reasons to be excited about the season if you're a fan. Hell, there's plenty of reasons for me to be excited as a media member just to have fans back in the stands. There is a certain kind of atmosphere. And I've got to tell you guys this. There's a certain kind of atmosphere that comes along with live sporting events, especially with the team that's built to win now. 7,000 fans in the stand. Not a, not a ton by any stretch of the imagination. About one-tenth of the capacity at Nissan Stadium. But just simply seeing the reaction from those of you who did attend 
with something as simple as a, uh, a Josh Reynolds reception on a Ryan Tannehill bomb, right? We, and we talked to Josh Reynolds at great length yesterday after the practice, and he kind of disclosed to us what's been going on with his Achilles as we touched on in the first hour and, and how that situation is kind of unfolding for him. It's unfortunate, but juice from big plays, right? You see the, I mean, it had to have been 50-plus yards, the bomb that Tannehill threw to Josh Reynolds that he was able to make a diving catch on. That got the crowd going. And then, you know, I'm, I'm standing on the sidelines with all of my Titans media colleagues and fellow vultures, and there starts to become this, like, roar, from the crowd when nothing's necessarily going on at that point in practice. So I'm looking around. I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is that got everybody, that's got everybody a buzz. And then I just simply look to my left and, you know, very unassuming by himself walking out, uh, sweatpants and, uh, and his number two Jersey, but Julio Jones for the first time, many of you guys in person were able to lay eyes on your, prized off-season acquisition not free agent of course because he came here via trade but the just the just the aura that that dude carried with him with AJ Brown out on the field and fans responding to Derrick Henry and reacting to Derrick Henry and people calling out dad from the crowd with Taylor Lewan and his new visor and all of these things Bud Dupree Harold Landry like there was a reception for a Titans team that and an energy around this Titans team that I haven't felt in some time. It's not the first time that we've brought this up, but something certainly that I think will carry over into the stadium atmosphere. I mean, you've read the reports from the Tennessee, and something that we really haven't touched on a lot. Uh, maybe uh, maybe a, a, lack of, uh, a lack of foresight by us as a show, but this idea that ticket sales for this team are through the roof. Now, there's probably a great many reasons because of that with this Titans ticket surge that has resulted um, from a variety of factors, right? People have been cooped up. Not everybody's been able to go to a sporting event or a concert or, you know, been able to do things like normal throughout the course of the last 18, 19 months almost. So you want to get out. You want to have communal experiences. You want to do that at, at things that are fun, right? You want to be at the thing that everybody else is going to, that everybody else is talking about. Right now, for the first time in my six years, that's a Titans game. There's probably some effect of Julio Jones. There's probably some carryover from last year in a way that you had the most prolific offense in this franchise's history, at least in the Titans era history. And, uh, and how excited many of you are to see how that product carries over, how Excited you are to see, you know, a, a multi-touchdown game by Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry going crazy for 150, 200 plus yards in a single game as he does. The the opportunity and something that I think that we really didn't touch on yesterday in a way that I wanted to. I was watching the NFL Top 100, and I promise this all links with one another, 615-737-1045 if you'd like to jump in on the conversation, 615-737-1045. The top 100 in the NFL, it's happening right now. We started getting tweets about it, right? Why the hell is Ryan Tannehill ranked number 83? The disrespect, he's down from like, you know, I can't remember if it was 67 or 65, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But people start tweeting 
at Titans Media. They start tweeting at the NFL and the NFL Network about what a disgrace this is and how could the players get this wrong, and on and on and on it goes. And I, I sat there fighting this in my mentions for quite some time because I hate lists. I, I feel like as an audience, we have collectively, as a show, because of course this is your show, Lucas and I are just the people facilitating this, as a show and as an audience, I feel like we've kind of conditioned ourselves to be anti-list, and that makes me very happy. But with this NFL Top 100, I'm watching it. I'm seeing the uh, I'm seeing the reaction to it from players and people congratulating one another, whether they be teammates or fans, celebrating the fact that these players are just appearing on the list. And and I came away with two things, and this all flows in to this energy and this aura about this particular year's team three players so far in the top 100 you got ryan Tannehill, jeffrey simmons and aj brown in that order ascending order i felt like you know regardless of where they're placed there is something to the idea of just having these guys be a part of one of these lists that I really think generates an excitement, generates the opportunity for you know a younger fan, maybe generationally, Titans fans who have been around for a while, who used to go to games with their parents. Maybe you got away from it in the last couple of years because the team hadn't been great. Then you started to started to shift your attention more towards them once they became you know at this point impossible to ignore in the Nashville sports landscape. Just for those kind of generational fans that may have, it may have skipped a gap, right? From the 99 year, the Super Bowl run, and those teams that resulted afterwards, where you went from winning division titles and, and being in the playoffs on a consistent basis to like a decade long drought, basically, of competency for this franchise. So it, it almost skipped a generation in terms of that fan base that you're trying to create, that core, your base constituency to use a political term that is going to continue to show up and support you throughout good times and bads it's a lot different in sports right it's much harder to support a loser nobody is going to blame you if you don't go want to go out there and uh, you know 97 degree heat in september where there's very little protection of, from the elements in that stadium and go out and watch jake locker kind of fart around on a football field nobody was blaming people for that maybe there was some kind of outcry about why people don't attend tights games and it's really been a consistent theme since i've been here about oh let's take a picture of the stadium while the national anthem is being sung let's see what capacity looks like from the press box prior to kickoff and i just i get so tired of that theme because i i don't blame people for the way that that kind of support drifted away but with things like the nfl top 100 and the excitement that's being generated around this team, one, you're finding guys that are marketable with this franchise. Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Jeffrey Simmons, I'm sure Derrick Henry will make an appearance on that list. Who who can say how many more Titans will be on that list? And if they're not on the offensive side of the football, by the way, a, a travesty in any stretch of the imagination, that none of the offensive line who helped Derrick Henry rush for a 2,000-yard season will be on the top 100, but I digress. That marketability, that ability for a uh, a younger fan, maybe the generation that was skipped over in terms of Titans fandom because of that decade-long lull, maybe they've had kids now. Maybe they've been to 
to the Nissan Stadium practice. Maybe they felt that kind of energy and gotten excited about Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And now you see Jeffrey Simmons on NFL Network as a part of the top 100, and you say, that's my guy. I've got his jersey hanging in my closet. I'm going to go to school the next day and tell all of my friends that I got a football thrown to me at the Nissan Stadium practice by Titans defensive lineman Jeffrey Simmons. That stuff, while I, I, I may trivialize it, and I think maybe maybe too often do I trivialize it because I just I kind of tend, I kind of trend cynical, and that's not the best thing to be. I think it helps me in terms of how I do my job, but ultimately it kind of creates this disconnect between me and the actual sports fans, you guys who are experiencing this, differently than I am. Whereas this is work for me, and it's a hell of a lot of fun, it's still work for me. I look at this differently. Whereas you guys, this is how you choose to spend your disposable income. This is how you choose to invest your time. This is how you, you know, this is how you elect to let your let your emotions get caught up in a season and storylines and players and coaches and individuals and ultimately success in the last couple of years. It, it's just one stadium practice. And I don't think that I'm being overly, and maybe I'm being a little overly romantic about it, but I think that it's okay to romanticize right now. It's okay to, if you're a Titans fan looking at this, say, you know, I'm legitimately invested in the success of this team. I want my friends, my family members to come with me and be invested in the success of this team. The same for the Preds during the Stanley Cup run. You know, the last time Tennessee was good, whether it's, you know, Tennessee basketball in March Madness a couple of years ago before they got unceremoniously bounced by Purdue. Like, there are, there are moments, momentum, with sports teams that, whether they come around, you know, cyclically, not often enough, but the ones that matter, the ones that hit hard, the ones that you come, you know, you go into work, the office, ne- the, the, the Monday after a Sunday at Nissan Stadium, you say, you know, or a Thursday night football game at Nissan Stadium, for example, and you say, I saw Derrick Henry rush for the most yards in a single game in the history of this franchise against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Four touchdowns. I was there to see it. I was there to see the starting moments of somebody who has Hall of Fame caliber potential, who is currently in the process of building a Hall of Fame resume. I heard... Uh, I heard Nate Burleson on Good Morning Football talking about, you know, if Derrick Henry gets anywhere close to 2,000 yards again in his career, you can't write the history of the NFL without Derrick Henry. And so all of this to say that at this moment in time, you have a team that has that historic potential, a team that only comes around for any franchise once every I mean, decade, decade plus in the case of some of the more uh, forlorn franchises in the NFL. Looking at you Bengals fans for all your postseason, not postseason success, you get to the postseason, then you lose. You, you, you're a Cleveland Browns fan and you've suffered for 25, 30 some odd years since the, since the team you know, left for Baltimore and then came back and restarted the Browns franchise and now you're just starting to get good. It's cyclical. You've suffered for long enough that when the good times come, you're prepared for them. That's ultimately what I'm looking at this team or looking through my worldview, through my prism at this team. Because the energy that I'm feeling around it, the energy that you guys are displaying, the investment, 
that you guys have carried all offseason long, throughout the course of last season, for as up and down as it might have been for all the flaws that that team had, now you look at that as expectations. And expectations, that was the kind of kinetic energy that I was feeling in Nissan Stadium on Monday night with nearly 7,000 of you in attendance. Kinetic energy and expectations for a team that is supposed to regularly have success. It's a cool feeling. We'll come back and we'll have a Titans Media Roundtable. John Glennon and Ben Arthur of Broadway Sports and the Tennessean, respectively, two of my fellow Titans Media compatriots. They're going to join us and we're going to get into a more training camp position battle center conversation. Stick around. It's going to be a good one. This is 104.5 The Zone. A Titans Media Roundtable is what we're going to do in this segment. John Glennon of Broadway Sports and new Titans beat writer for the Tennessee and Ben Arthur is going to be a part of this conversation. We really dug deep into everything that we saw in the preseason game, the position groups to watch, and basically whether Des Fitzpatrick is in danger of being cut by this final hour on this Tuesday. A Titans Media Roundtable is what we're going to do in this segment. John Glennon of Broadway Sports and new Titans beat writer for the Tennessee and Ben Arthur is going to be a part of this conversation. We really dug deep into everything that we saw in the preseason game, the position groups to watch, and basically whether Des Fitzpatrick is in danger of being cut by this team this year. This was from my 615 Sessions podcast that you can find on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. You're really going to enjoy it. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast. we got a first-timer and an old-timer. We've got Ben Arthur of the Tennessean and Johnny Glennon with fresh hair, fresh nails, the whole nine <laughs> yards, live from his living room. Boys, how are we doing? Doing, doing well, great, bud. You? Thanks for having us. Yeah. So uh, I did not – I did. we're already off We're already off sync. We're going to have to learn how to communicate throughout the course of this podcast because <laughs> I didn't tell Ben that Glennon was coming, and I didn't tell Johnny that Ben was going to be here. Because you know we like to we like to play Russian roulette with our uh, with our media compatriots to stop by the podcast. So Johnny, I'm sorry I sprung this on you. I hope you're okay. Oh, it's good. You know, a little, little surprise keeps us on our toes, and you know we can uh, we can work some good chemistry this way. Ben, I promise you, Johnny's not as bad as this as you would think he would be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take your word on that. <laughs> so, uh, Glennon, at what point did you decide that you were going to bail on the Atlanta trip? Because you lied to me, John. You told me you were going, and then you did. You just didn't show up. What happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, as Thursday began to uh, to to roll into Friday, I think two things: uh, logic and perhaps laziness uh, came into my uh, uh, thinking. Good. Um, you know, uh, as much as it's a nice short journey up and back. You know, you like to keep up with the team in person. I thought, again, this is week one of the preseason. We're not going to see a starter. Actually, we did see a few, but, you know, nothing real significant. And, uh, you know, I just felt very comfortable on that couch. So I said, young guy like Ben, full of full of energy, full of vigor. That's the kind of guy you want to see heading down to Atlanta. And, and sure enough, young Ben was on the move, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yes, I was. Um, I, I spent two nights there, Ooh. actually. It, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy for w- week one of the preseason, right? Just doing two nights, but just stay with family, um, stay with my cousin, and, you know, got to see my little niece who's one years old. So 
um, you know, made a little family trip out of it, but, you know, it was nice to, to see some football played and, Hey, you know, some, you know, Rashad Weaver, you know, made, made some noise. Um, you know, we, we, we saw some other guys, especially, you know, especially on that defensive front kind of show out. So, you know, looking forward to talking about all that, but it was a fun trip, John. I think you missed out me, Buck, Jim, uh, TD, you know, we, we had a good time without you. So, you know, it was, it's been hard, you know, Ben just hard. said, Johnny, how you feel about that? <laughs> oh, hey, hold, hold on. We must be on a podcast here. Holy cow. Um, that's okay. Yes. I forgot Ben that you had, uh, you had family uh, in that neck of the woods. So I'm glad you made it uh, all about family and football. That's uh, it's a special journey then. Very nice. This, this podcast has already become far too serious. I've just, I've just seen Glenn and Clutch's pearls and Ben's telling me about his niece. So now I have to take a softer approach than I otherwise would. No, there was football played. It was enjoyable to an extent. Uh, once, once we got through, once we got through, uh, or at least the offensive line deficiencies on both sides of the football, it was impossible for either offense to move the ball for a good deal of that uh, preseason game outside of penalties, but they did seem to find their groove as things were on. And as uh, in Mike Vrabel's own words, Dean, Ple- Dean Pease quit blitzing quarterbacks. That was an important, uh, important note to have, but I guess Johnny, what, when you, when you watch that game, I don't know if you've watched it back or how many times you've watched it back, but what kind of outside of Weaver, cause he's the obvious and we'll get to him. What kind of popped for you? You know, I, I, I think, we saw the defensive line, really the starters, at least two of the starters on the defensive line. Granted, they didn't play for long, but they were in there, and, and I thought they were a very disruptive group. Um, you know, and I think overall in defense, and again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, we don't know how much we can take from this because it's basically second teamers versus second teamers, thirds versus thirds, etc. But you know, overall, I thought it was an aggressive uh, group on, on defense. You know, I, I thought it was similar to what we have seen in practice when we go out there on most days. And perhaps surprisingly, this defense has been better than the offense on, on most days out there. And I thought that was kind of reflected out there, too. You know, there was constant uh, pressure, uh, you know, on, on the Atlanta quarterback spot. And, and I like that. And, and, you know, they, they got one turnover looked uh, uh, very close to getting a second turnover uh, as well. So again, these are, these are baby signs for the defense, but things like pressuring the quarterback, getting off the field on third down, we can't say things are cured because these are not starters. So, you know, how much do we know, but, but Hey, you'd rather have it than not. And that's probably the, you know, kind of the uh, primarily uh, primary uh, takeaway I had there. Ben didn't suffer this team on third down the way that we have, John. So I don't know necessarily, Ben, what your expectations were going into this thing. But I had Mike Keith, who's the, the voice of the Titans on the radio show today. And he said that five, five sack calls in a game is as much as he's done in a very long time. So I'm, I'm certain he was happy to see that as well. What were your impressions? Yeah, you know, just kind of building off of what, what John said. I mean, that defensive front, you know, looked great. Like the, the backups, the reserves. I mean, even in practice, right, that they've been going up against a lot of the, the reserves or the rookies, the unproven guys, just because so many guys have been in and out. Luan hasn't been 100% yet. Ben Jones has missed several practices. Kendall Lamb has been out. Nate Davis has missed a few practices. So, you know, they, they, they've they been looking good in practices, but, but they've been largely against reserves. And for them to do it, you know, in a game, I'll be – you know, against a lot of reserves on the other side. I think that was very encouraging, but 
you know, I, I was also impressed by some of the guys, you know, in, in the secondary. Christian Fulton, you know, had, you know, a nice pass break up there um, in, in, in the game. You know, I think he's a guy who's, who's really stepped up. Um, you know, I, honestly, I think, you know, the, the point, like, I think the first couple days of training camp were a little bit slower for him. But I remember that first day that Caleb Farley was activated off the non-football injury list. He had a pick and then he had a near pick six. Uh, the, the first day Caleb was eligible to practice. So I, th I thought that was very interesting. But, you know, I, I think Christian Fulton ha has looked good. And at this point, I think he's your, your week one started with Jack Rabbit just because Caleb hasn't been doing, you know, all that much. Breon Borders, uh, another guy who who's, you could continue to make plays, uh, had uh, what I thought was a pick, but I rest thought the ball, um, you know, hit the ground um, in, in the game. And then just on the offensive side of the ball, I, I kind of like what Logan Woodside was showing. You know, I think, you know, early on, especially in the first preseason game, you're playing behind a lot of reserves, um, you know, a lot of backup old linemen. There were a lot of struggles and, and, and the blitzing they struggled with. But, you know, at, at no point did he ever really lose his composure. Um, you know, he, he looked, you know, like he was in command of the offense. He, he kind of settled down, you know, was able to make some nice throws to Cam Batson and, uh, you know, Mason Kinsey. And, and as Mike Rabel said, you know, he thought he handled the, the, the blitz, blitzing relatively well. Um, so, so Woodside was definitely, you know, a standout for me. Um, you know, Kinsey, as, as I mentioned, I thought played well too. So I think there are a lot of, you know, encouraging signs on, you know, both sides of the ball. Oh, well, I mean, you know, and uh, Woodside may have kept his composure, but Cam Batson certainly deserves more praise for keeping his composure after Woodside almost got him killed on a ball that was very well behind him. Uh, that uh, that seemed destined for a concussion, but the back shoulder throw to the uh, to Batson in the end zone was nice. Uh, I mean, for as, for as good as the defense seemed to look, because you're right, and I think let, let's stick with that before we talk about the bad, because the bad was primarily on offense, and that's not something I thought we would come away uh, talking about today, but with, with the secondary, Johnny, how do you, how do you get Fulton on the field when Farley's out there? Like, I know we don't know when Farley's going to be out there and it was weird the way that they had Elijah Molden's pads at the game. And like, they were taking pictures of it on social media. And then Vrabel tells us afterwards that he just, he didn't travel. So we have no idea, idea what's going on there. I, I mean, how, how do you, given that the top four corners are guys that you know are going to be here, this year and kind of that toss up between the fifth one with Chris Jackson seeing a lot of snaps in the nickel and the Bre Breon borders again, playing well, what, what do you kind of, what do you kind of do with that situation in the secondary whenever Caleb Farley is available? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting puzzle there. You're right. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Ben too. I don't, I don't think Caleb Farley is going to be ready, you know, to be your starter week one, but at some point, uh, presumably with his talent, with his skill and the fact that he was the first round draft pick, uh, he's going to be in that starting lineup. Um, but, you know, Christian Fulton, obviously, is hardly a throwaway guy. You say, OK, Farley's in there. Let, let's bury Fulton on the bench. He's a second round pick last year, you know, and a lot of it is expected of him, too. So do you go back? And Christian Fulton certainly started last year out in the slot and the nickel, you know, had had mixed results because that's not really his background. You know, he was not much of a slot guy in, in college. Um, and he was kind of forced to learn that. So do you go back and, and do that again and, and arguably get your three best guys out there in Farley, Jack Rabbit, and, and Christian Fulton? 
Or, you know, you've got two guys who are sort of nickel specialists. You know, Elijah Molden is about as, uh, you know, lined up and, and perfect a slot specialist as you're going to find. And Chris Jackson, you know, from all we can see at camp, has improved quite, quite a bit as a, as a slot guy, too. So in, in that case, you know, does Christian Fulton become your fourth cornerback, really? Um, now, granted, you're probably going to use, you know, four corners from, from time to time, certainly in, in today's game. But, you know, I think the Titans are going to have to figure out what they want there. If they want to try and press Fulton into a role where he is not immediately comfortable just to get the top three cornerbacks out there, or do you, do you say, you know, we want, uh, you know, we want Farley and Jackrabbit, our two best guys eventually, um, and a slot specialist. And, and if, if that's the case, well, all of a sudden it's kind of weird that Christian Fulton is your number four guy and he's a second round draft pick. They, they did this last year too. They created redundancies for themselves at corner and that was out of necessity because they had some injuries with the Dory Jackson, not, uh, not playing. And then the Jonathan Joseph debacle, but they traded for Desmond King as a, as a slot corner. And that while Fulton was hurt and then they bumped Fulton to the outside, it looked a lot better certainly, but they spent all of the first basically three or four games of last season with Fulton in the slot and teaching him a, a more complicated position, frankly, than the one he's being asked to play right now. So it's it's a complicated dynamic. But so as Ben pointed out, Fulton has looked strong. Now, he did leave practice as we're taping this on a Monday. The people will hear it on a Tuesday. He did leave Sunday's practice a uh, little nicked up at the end of it. We are not sure the severity. Mike Vrabel gave us a timeline on Darrington Evans the other day, day to day. So maybe that? we'll get it. We'll get another one uh, when we speak to him at the stadium practice that we're all getting ready to attend here in just a little while I, on the offensive side of the I ball. Just, go ahead, Johnny. Sorry, Buck. I was just going to make one more point on the, on the corner situation there. You know, it's, it's possible too, that, that, you know, the Titans are looking at more obviously than just this one year, you know, how many years is, is Jack rabbit going to be around? Um, you know, it's not a long-term deal necessarily that, that he's going to be here. So maybe, you know, you're looking eventually at Farley Fulton on the outsides and, and maybe Molden, uh, there in the slot. So maybe this year there's a little bit of a glut, albeit a young, a very young glut, you know, maybe that starts to thin out, uh, you know, in, in years to come. But anyway, go ahead. But anyway, the offense, but the anyway. offense was not good. The offense, uh, Logan Woodside was fine. Matt Barkley is nine years in the league and he's beaten up on threes and fours, much to the chagrin of my buddy, Luke <laughs> Worsham, who says that he's the superior quarterback, which is just pure and total <laughs> idiocy. And I love Luke to death. Um, uh, let the offensive line, uh, <laughs> I mean, if any of these guys go down up front, like we have all lived the Daniel Munyer experience quite a bit at this point, not just in that preseason game, but in all the botch snaps at practices. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Aaron Brewer. I don't know. I haven't seen any reporting on it from anybody really among us about what he's doing on the PUP uh, and what must have been an offseason situation because he didn't end the year with any kind of injuries that we were aware of, but that's their best option as a backup, backup offensive lineman outside of Dylan Raidens, who I don't know necessarily that they think is any kind of ready. I mean, what, what do you, what do you make of the backup offensive line, Ben, in the action that we saw? Yeah, there's, there is some work to, to be done there. Munyer, you know, as you mentioned, has just not been, been getting it done. You know, Raidens, to, to his credit, I think he has, you know, kind of improved a little bit as training camp wore on. You know, we all saw the, the, those first few days of padded practices, man. Dude was struggling 
Yeah. Like <laughs> he's really, really struggling. But but I think, you know, last couple of practices and in, in, into the preseason game, he, he did show some promise. And, and I saw a stat from, you know, pro football focus. He, he had, you know, more than 10, you know, pass blocking snaps and he didn't allow, you know, a pressure that that's at least according to, to, to PFF. So, you know, he has made strides, you know, Rabel used the word encouraging to describe, you know, the, the, the progress um, that he's made, but, but yeah, all in all, you know, the, there hasn't been, you know, a whole lot, you know, to, to like there, um, you know, even, even Banwart, um, you know, he, he's basically been the third guy at center, um, you know, he's, he hasn't always looked great either. Um, you know, the, for the context spot for is, the audience, he's the undrafted rookie free agent out of Iowa. That's been playing a little bit along the offensive line who you saw in basically second half uh, on Friday night. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks Buck. And um, yeah. And, and Ross Reynolds started at what left guard. I yes. haven't been, <laughs> he, he didn't, he wasn't a guy who stood out to me at all in, in practices. Oh. And then I, I see him starting. So that was, you know, quite interesting. Let you me know, let me tell you a quick story about Ross Reynolds at this game, okay? Because we we are obviously us media vermin. We're not permitted on the field on in a lot of these stadiums. I'm sure is going to be the case as the Delta variant creeps closer and closer upon us. Um, but we're in the in the lower bowl pregame. Uh, Teron, Jimmy, and uh, and myself, and we're standing right by the tunnel where the players are coming out. Now it just so happens that apparently it was friends and family night at the first preseason game you saw people like mason kinsey have good interactions i saw david long with his family drove down from cincinnati some family from atlanta all good stuff but we're standing by the tunnel and this woman gets up and says hey you guys are kind of blocking my view we're here here to see our son and teron goes oh who's who's your son and she goes ross reynolds and i said josh reynolds she goes no no no, ross reynolds and teron and i both look at each other like who Starting left guard for the Tennessee Titans on Friday night. So you not can't say that to mom. You can't say that to Mrs. Reynolds oh, now. I did not say it to her face, Johnny, but certainly okay. I think she heard us giggling about it as she was walking away from telling us to get the hell out of her view. Proceed, Ben. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I was basically done. I'll, I'll kind of let John, you know, go ahead from here. But yeah, that depth just isn't looking great. And then when, when you have so many starters kind of in and out of practice, you kind of wonder you know, how it's all going to come together, you know, week one. Um, so, yeah, the, that's that's kind of an area of, of concern, I think, as we kind of, you know, get deeper into the preseason. What are your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, well, I think one thing to remember, too, uh, and you guys have touched on this also, but, you know, a lot of those problems are coming at center. Um, and we know Coming up. Daniel Monier is, is not the answer at center, but you know, a lot of those, those blitzes, uh, you know, we're, we're coming through those a gaps up front and then, then there was delayed safety blitz that came right through center too. So you would think, you know, if, if there's a higher ranked center, uh, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's why they brought in a guy like a Spencer pulley, uh, you know, the former Vanderbilt guy, and, and he since got hurt, you would think yeah. someone like him would have had that experience maybe to keep a little bit of those blitzers away. And Aaron Brewer, you know, again, we haven't seen him yet because of the injury, but, you know, I, I know they liked they saw from him at a guard last year, and, and I think, you know, may have been able to do better at center uh, as well. Uh, to me, it's kind of interesting what they have been doing with, with Dylan Radens, uh, moving him around uh, from, from guard to tackle and so forth. I, I get it. I get what they're doing. They want versatility. They want him to be able to plug into different spots because, 
you know, let's face it, the more versatile a guy is, the less number of guys you have to keep on that 53-man roster. Coming up next, John Glennon, Ben Arthur, and I will continue the conversation about the Titans' depth chart and roster spots to watch here on 104.5 The Zone. Back here on 104.5 The Zone, having a Titans media roundtable discussion about this Tennessee Titans roster before we all head down to Tampa Bay for joint practices with the Buccaneers. John Glennon, Ben Arthur, myself, I really think you're going to enjoy the rest of this conversation. Uh, but yes, backup quarterback, uh, Logan Woodside's job to lose, Ben or no? Yes, it, it's absolutely his job to lose. I mean, he's still, you know, in my eyes, by, by far the front runner. Um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I, he did show some, you know, good stuff. I'm, some of the, those blitzes, some, some of those, um, you know, hits, you know, kind of were on him, like not the failure to recognize um, what was happening. And he did acknowledge that in, in the post-game press conference. But, you know, as I also said, you know, he, he did seem to, to settle down. He seemed to be in control of that offense. And, man, he's, you know, he, he's just a guy you have to respect. Like just the, the resiliency, you know, it seems like the Titans are always trying to get him out of there just with all the guys they bring in as competition. It was what Cole McDonald, the seventh rounder last year, then, you know, he beat him out. Then it was Trevor Simeon. He beat him out too. Then it was Deshaun Kaiser earlier in training camp. He beat him out. And now they have, um, you know, Matt Barkley, um, you know, I, and I think to, to his credit, I mean, I think Barkley did decent considering he was only, he's only been with the team like a week, you know, and they did run the ball primarily in, you know, when he was in the game in, in the second half. And I, I guess he was okay. I mean, there, there were some bad throws in there. I don't know. You know, I, I didn't see what Luke saw in, in terms of, uh, you know, <laughs> Matt Barkley being way ahead of Woodside. I mean, I, I'm not going to go there. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think this is Woodside's um, job to lose at this point. Luke, Luke picks one thing every year that he's just going to harp into the ground, which makes absolutely zero sense. Like, what, what, about, what of anything about Mike, Matt Barkley's career makes you think that he's better than Logan Woodside or any of the other schlubs that they've run through here the past couple of years. What, what do you think, John? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you hit uh, hit the nail on the head right there. You know, the, the one thing that, that Barkley obviously has that Logan Woodside does not have is the NFL experience. You know, he's, he's played in the league for, you know, six seasons, I think. You know, he's probably started, what, uh, you know, 12, 15 games, something along those lines, although I think only one since 2018. But you know, we've seen guys like this before, you know, just because you played in NFL games doesn't mean you're a good NFL quarterback. Um, you know, his, his record as a starter, you know, there's leeway there, whether that's a quarterback stat or not, but is, is certainly not a good record. He's thrown 11 TDs and 22 interceptions in his career. Uh, you know, so are, are we looking at the next coming of a Blaine Gabbard or, or a younger Matt Castle, uh, you know, something like that? Just because you've got NFL experience doesn't mean that you're better than a guy who hasn't played a game. And that, to me, you know, at some point, the Titans do have to take a leap of faith with Logan Woodside. And they can say, okay, you know, Logan Woodside, you've controlled everything that you can control. You've been good every time we put you out in the preseason. You've been very good in practices. You've been a, like award-winning off-season, you know, in the in our camps here. Um, so, you know, we can't. We just don't know until you get in the game how you're going to be. But at some point, 
you know, I think the Titans have to take that, that leap of faith here. And, and uh, they have before, obviously, with uh, with Logan Woodside and, and say, uh, you're our guy because you've been in this system for two years. You've got that edge on Barkley. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's going to be really tough for Matt Barkley in a matter of weeks coming into a new team, going up against a guy who has been here for, for a couple of years in this system. I think it's going to be a challenge for, for Matt Barkley to win that. Um, and I think Barkley is probably the best of the challengers um, yeah. at that number two spot. But probably, uh, in the yeah. end, you know, unless Logan Woodside completely falls apart in either of these last two preseason games, you know, I, I think he's going to be the guy. I won't, I won't do Matt Castle 2.0, Johnny. I won't live that life again. That was such a terrible experience every time he went into the game, the couple of years that he was here. I just, and bless him, he's a lovely man. But dear yeah. God, was he tough to watch play. Yeah, and then Blaine Gabbard, you know, same sort of thing. Great, great guy. We, we, we love Blaine. And love Blaine. Blaine on, the, Blaine on the radio show next week in Tampa. It's going to be fun. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And I'm going to tell him and, how and, awful uh, he was to watch in that Week 17 game when he just knuckleballed yeah. well, a pick you, to the linebacker. Really, I, I still remember, yeah, I remember after that game, and you really felt for Blaine Gabbert because you knew this was a, such a great opportunity for Blaine Gabbert. You know, there was a big game. There was a lot on the line. The team said, you're our guy, Blaine. You know, step up and win us win us this game, this big game, and he, and he just failed. You he know, blew he it. couldn't do it. And, you know, he, I think, he, you know, there, there were some tears welling up after that game because he knew. He knew that, you know, you're probably not going to get another chance at, at my age and uh, at this point, but enough about Blaine Gabbert. We're, we're not here to talk about Blaine. Super Bowl champion Blaine Gabbert. You put your, some respect on his name, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> ben, is Dennis Fitzpatrick going to get cut? Oh, I, well, I, I, at this point, I, I do think so. Um, he's, he's firmly on the bubble at the very yeah. least. I mean, that practice he had, what we're recording this Monday, that practice he had Sunday just was not good at all. Woo! On top of the preseason game where he didn't play until the second half and did absolutely nothing. And then up until that, you know, all those training, the, the two weeks of training camp practices, he just hasn't done, you know, a whole lot in a room where you have to make plays to stand out because it's been, it's been the most competitive you know, room in, in training camp for the Titans. Guys are fighting for spots. Guys are making plays. You know, there are a lot of conversations. Will you know, six, seven guys make the team at that position just because of how deep it's been. And he's, you know, I, he's at the bottom of, of the pecking order, you know, just in terms of, you know, of, of performances just throughout, you know, training camp. And, you know, there, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk of, well, you know, you, you can't, you know, cut a, a fourth round pick. Well, I mean, you, you can, I mean, it, it's, it's not a super common thing, right. In a fourth rounders first training camp, but you know, it, when, when I was covering the Seahawks in, in the, those three years, they cut a, a fourth rounder um, once in those three years. I don't know how that percentage would, would kind of stack up to, you know, just kind of league average, but, but it happens, right. Um, it, I mean, it would sting for sure with, with the Titans because First of all, if I remember correctly, he he had like a sixth, seventh round grade, but the Titans selected him in not only in the fourth round, but they traded up to get him. So there's definitely the sting of that, and, and that that's, that has to be something that's going that's going to be in 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 you know the minds of you know the the Titans decision makers when when they have to you know whittle down this roster. But man, with the way some of those other guys are playing, you know. I don't know if you can you can keep him 
you know, it, it's, it's going to be a very, I know I don't want to be <laughs> in that room uh, to, to, to make that decision, but, but yeah, but if you had to ask me now, I'd say no. Um, you know, the, the last roster projection I put out, I, I didn't, I didn't have him on there. Um, so it's, it's an, it's an uphill battle, you know, for him, you know, at this point, he needs to show something and show something fast. I think, you know, this week in Tampa is going to be really, really important for him. Johnny, he's losing snaps to D3 Barry College, Mason Kinsey, who, by the way, balled like no, no, respectfully to Mason Kinsey. Uh, but this, it cannot, it cannot be like this with the numbers that they have a wide receiver. You cannot cut Chester Rogers for Des Fitzpatrick. You cannot cut uh, Mason Kinsey, really, even for Des Fitzpatrick. You can make the argument for, you know, NWI or Racing McMath, who Racing McMath has not done anything really. Uh, outside of the first day with some, you know, highlight, uh, highlight real plays where he goes up and gets it in the end zone. It's just, it's the numbers aren't there to justify keeping him. And like, you know, John is not a, John Robinson is not above punting on these dudes. If it's, if it's getting to the point where he thinks that they've just got to cut bait and move on. But I mean, for, for nothing more than it's his fault. If they cut, if they cut Tess Fitzpatrick, do I think Des Fitzpatrick finds a way to hang around? I don't know if anybody in the league would pick him up if they cut him, if he's a practice squad candidate, but I didn't think that anything uh, would happen with Luke Falk a couple of years ago when he ended up in <laughs> Miami, you know, two days afterwards. Yeah, well, that's the thing about Des Fitzpatrick is he picked the absolute wrong year to be a rookie that needs a project rookie for the Titans that needs a lot of polish. Most other years, you know, the Titans wide receiver depth has not been a strength of this team. And you could say, okay, we'll keep Des Fitzpatrick as a, as a sixth wide receiver, you know, basically a glorified practice squad guy, you know, keep him throughout the year, let him learn. Uh, so on this, this is not that year. This is the deepest group of Titans wide receivers. I can, you know, ever remember seeing, and you can easily go through seven, eight, nine guys and say, this guy has earned a roster spot, you know, and, and Des Fitzpatrick is, is not one of those guys, uh, unfortunately. Um, I, you know, I just did a 53 uh, that, that came out this morning. I did not have uh, Des Fitzpatrick as one of my seven guys uh, on, on the roster either, you know, and, and maybe the only silver lining, uh, if you don't keep Des Fitzpatrick, is that he hasn't really perked up anybody's attention. And as you say, you know, maybe, maybe if you're, if you're a deep team with wide receivers and you have an open spot and you can say, we can just keep this guy, we can let him work. all we, again, like a glorified practice squad guy, you know, maybe some, some team like that picks him up. But other than that, you know, what, what has he done where other teams are going to say, I gotta, you know, I gotta have that Des Fitzpatrick. So maybe you can just put him on the practice squad uh, if you release him, but um, you know, yeah, he just, he just hasn't done. And, and we, we've seen Marcus Johnson have some, some great days, you know, and, and he looks like, you know, he's playing as well as he ever has in his career. Chester Rogers, you know, has the extra value of being a return guy, especially in the punt game. Uh, this team apparently loves NWI, uh, the, the Hoosier, Nick Westbrook, Keenan. We're, we're, I'm still a little shaky on on the love affair there you know i i understand he's probably a tremendous special teams guy and blocker johnny we went to the yeah. same college i don't like this guy as much as they like this guy like what what is this he physically I, I fights with the football you. instead of catching it he's hand fighting with the football instead of catching this damn thing yeah and you think that tends to be an important part of being a receiver but i you know i i don't know but uh, what do i know um, 
you know, and then then a guy like a Racy McMath. Honestly, I think he would be more likely to get picked up if you cut him simply because of special teams values. You know, he's a big, fast, physical guy. And, and you know, Mike Brable has talked about the impact they want him to have on special teams. So, you know, maybe he's a gunner and, and a kickoff, uh, uh, you know, uh, coverage kind of guy as well. So, boy, uh, Des, unless you, unless you perk up here in the next couple of weeks, it's, uh, you know, or, or who knows about injuries. But, you know, as, as of right now, I don't think the numbers look very good for him. Uh, zero urgency is is what I yeah. observe out there right now. Like he just doesn't. Well, well, he... Go to, ahead, to Johnny. That, to, yeah, I was going to say to that point, you remember the day before, uh, you know, yesterday when we asked Mike Brable, said, you know, what does he have to do to get more snaps, to get more attention? And Mike Brable, who is not a guy to single out players really one way or the other too often, uh, you know, was very succinct and said a lot. And I kind of said, uh, can you maybe expand on that just a little bit? And he emphasized it even more, a lot. Um, and, and you would think, you know, maybe the next day, okay, maybe the, if, if this guy sees those comments, hears those comments, it's a little kick in the pants, a little motivation and so forth. And that's the, the day, as, as Ben just mentioned, he goes out there and, and drops at least two passes in one drill and gets his hands on another. That Three. Could have yeah, exactly. Back to back to back with the GM watching. I watched them right. send him back through the same drill and he let it bounce yeah. off his hands a third time. And yeah, I, I went so, back and so, look at why it's uh, – I read everybody's practice observations just, just in case I meet, miss anything, and I saw why it had him you know, rebounding a little bit later, drills I didn't necessarily see. So I want to be fair. But yeah, the urgency is just completely lacking at this point with that. Yeah. Guy. So so if if Mike Vrabel was trying to send a message at all, that that message did not appear uh, to to be received as best we can tell. Ben Arthur, new well, not necessarily new, but new to us, Titans reporter for the Tennessean, John Glenn of Broadway Sports at Glennon Sports is where you follow Johnny at Ben. Is it? It's not Ben E Arthur. It's Ben Ben Y Arthur, right? Because I keep I read it every time as Benny Arthur when I read your Twitter handle. Yeah, it, it, it depends on how you're feeling. Like some people say Benny Arthur, some people say Benny Arthur. You know, it, it kind of just depends. I mean, I I, I say Benny Arthur. Um, so it's just like Ben Arthur. Just put the Y um, in between just one word. That became entirely too complicated for the end of this podcast. You were doing so well (laughs) on your debut until you botched the landing. It's okay. Check these guys out, Broadway Sports and the Tennessee. And thank you as always, boys. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Hour two in the books. Coming up next, Titans linebacker David Long is going to join us. And Greg Cosell and myself, we're going to have a conversation about Rashawn Evans, Tom Brady, this Tampa Bay defense, and then a deep dive into Ryan Tannehill.